Welcome to Torah Today Ministries, our continuing series, Parsha Seasonings, where we look at some of the details of the Hebrew in each week's Torah portion, and also some of the anomalies found only in the Torah scrolls. In this episode, we're looking at Torah portion Emor, which is Leviticus chapters 21 through 24. So uh, there's some very unusual things here, and I think this lesson, the tone of it will be more a case of let's look at how the rabbis look at scripture. Uh, there may be some profound insights that you'll discover as we go through here, but for me, this preparation for this particular teaching has been an exercise and really looking deeply in how the rabbis over the centuries have engaged the Hebrew scriptures. And uh, so strap in for a kind of a roller coaster ride as we get into this really fascinating portion. So we'll begin in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 11. And our verse says, He, that's referring to the high priest, shall not go toward any dead bodies, nor make himself unclean, even for his father or for his mother. The high priest was to remain ritually pure, and the most unclean thing a person could touch was a dead body. So the high priest was forbidden from touching dead bodies, even if it's his mother or her father or his father. Now, this verse in Hebrew is ten words. You see them here on the screen. And what is unusual about these ten words is that you'll notice that the last letter of the first two words is Lamed. The last letter of the next two words is Tav, the last letter of the next two words is Aleph, and the last letter of the next two words is Vav, and the last letter of the last two words is Aleph. In other words, every pair of words share the same last letter. And these are the kinds of things the rabbis notice. This is peculiar. This doesn't happen anywhere else. So the question is, why? Because if God assigned every jot and tittle to the text of the Hebrew uh, Torah, then this must have some significance as well. It must be some way of God saying, dig here and see what you can find. Well, one of the first things we do when we find unusual things like this is let's look at the numerical values. So, beginning with a left, with the Aleph and the Aleph, we take their numerical values, 1 plus 1, plus 6 plus 6, plus 1 plus 1, plus 400 plus 400, plus 30 plus 30. So, we add the values of these final letters of these 10 words. When we add them together, we get a sum total of 876. And lo and behold, there is one word in the entire Torah that has a numerical value of 876. And that word is vahit halakti. Vahit halakti, I will walk or I will make myself walk. And it is also found in Leviticus, in the next Torah portion, Leviticus 26.12, where God says, and I will walk, vahit halakti, I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Notice something similar between this verse and the verse before. And the verse before is talking about the high priest intermingling with the people, but he's not to touch a dead body and become ritually impure. And yet in this verse, which has this mathematical connection, God says, I will walk among you. 
I will be your God and you shall be my people. Even with all of the shortcomings, the flaws, the immaturity, the complaints, God still says, I'll walk among you. The high priest could not touch a dead body. Yet God himself can walk among a people who have so many flaws. And then I think of the master who had no reservations about touching a dead body. Of touching a leper and bringing healing to that leprosy or bringing that dead body back to life. What a God we have. It's amazing. So, again, this is an exercise in simply looking at how the rabbis engage Scripture when they find some, something unusual going on in the Hebrew. Well, let's continue on. Leviticus 21, verse 13. Now, you may know of the tradition that in Orthodox Judaism, going back for thousands of years, it was tradition that a young man should be married by the time he is 18 years old. And where do they base this tradition? What do they find? There's no place in the Torah that says, when you turn 18, you must get married. I'm glad that is the case because most men, uh, young men I know, are not ready to be married at the age of 18. Well, they base the tradition on Leviticus 21, 13, where it says, and he shall take a wife in her virginity. And the phrase, and he, is one word in Hebrew. It's the word vahu. And it's vav, he, vav, aleph. And if you add up the numerical values, it equals 18. So if we put the word 18 in here, it means that at 18, he shall take a wife and a virginity. Now, again, the Torah is not teaching that a guy has to get married when he's 18. But there's a tradition. That tradition has a connection to Scripture based on the numerical value of this word, vahu. So there, now you know, you can... Uh, ask that as a question at your next Arab uh, uh, Shabbat meal and, and wow people with your Hebrew trivia. Okay, but going on, we come to Leviticus 23 and verse 4. Now, as we look at this verse, we're going to step into an area of controversy. And it's not my purpose to stir up controversy at all. And I refuse to be drawn in to controversy, but it seems like wherever there's an opportunity for the enemy to bring division between people, he'll take that opportunity. And oftentimes, the division is caused by something very small. After all, the, the narrower and the smaller the blade is, the cutting edge on a knife, the sharper it is, the more easily it divides. And I've seen this many times in the redeemed community, and, uh, and so he'll use small things and make them look like big things. And one of those things that the enemy uses is the calendar. Now, the biblical calendar is basically lunar. That's adjusted throughout the years to align with the seasons. And that's another story for another time. But the question is, when does the month begin? Well, the month begins when the first sliver of a new moon is seen. And when you see that very first sliver of a new moon, that becomes the first day of the month. So how did they see these slivers of the moon? How did they make the final decision? Yes, it's actually been seen. Well, when people were around Jerusalem, they would be look 
looking up, watching the sky because they knew that the new moon would be appearing soon. And if you saw that first sliver, you ran. You ran to the, uh, the Sanhedrin there in Jerusalem and you'd report, I've seen the new moon. And then they would grill you as of what you actually saw. They had some images on the wall and said, what did it look like? And when they interrogated you and uh, were assured that you'd seen it, they would wait for a second or third witness to show up to say the same thing. When that happened, they would say, okay, the new month has begun. They would light the signal fires and all across Israel, people would learn very quickly, the new moon has appeared, the new month has begun. But now we run into issues. What happens if you live outside of Israel? What if Israel, the population spreads out beyond its borders where sometimes the new moon doesn't appear exactly the same? What if it's cloudy? What if it's cloudy for several days on end? How do you know when the new moon begins? And then today, living in the United States, in the Western Hemisphere, and uh, it can be problematic because how do I know when the new moon appears in Israel where it's determined that the month has begun? And this became an issue a long time ago. And in fact, we find in, um, in 1 Chronicles 12.32 that this problem was resolved by the tribe of Issachar because there it refers to Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And we know historically that Issachar, they must have been great astronomers and mathematicians. They were able to calculate when the new moon would arrive, what would appear, and they began to establish Israel's calendar because it kind of became impractical to rely on someone in the Sanhedrin seeing the new moon especially later on after the temple's destroyed and there's no Sanhedrin that's dispersed, then how do we establish when the new month begins? Somebody might say, I saw the new moon last night. Someone says, well, I've seen it for the first time tonight. And then our dates are off. For example, if Passover is to take place on the 15th day of Nisan, you need to know when the month of Nisan begins to know you're celebrating Passover on the 15th day instead of the 16th or 17th day. You get the idea. Well, in this verse, in Leviticus 23.4, it says, These are the Moadim, the Moadei Adonai, the appointed times of Adonai, the holy convocations. The convocation is when you come together and set yourselves apart as a holy people to do something which ye shall proclaim them at their appropriate times. Now the word them is spelled Aleph Tav Mim, and there you can see it in red in our verse. This word could be pronounced, pronounced one of two ways. If we pronounce it Otam, it means them. But if we pronounce the word Atim, it means you, plural. And so the rabbis read it both ways. A controversy came up in ancient times about the calendar. And I'm going to read you an excerpt from the Talmud, uh, which is not a blanket endorsement of the Talmud, but the Talmud does have many historical anecdotes and insights and stories that 
help illuminate the scriptures and our understanding of them. So here is uh, an excerpt, and you can take it or leave it, make of it what you want. But it's found in Tractate Rosh Hashanah, page 25a. Rabbi Akiva said to Rabbi Yehoshua, My teacher, allow me to say before you one matter that you yourself once taught me. He said to him, Speak. He said to him, It states with respect to the festivals, the Moedim, the appointed seasons of Adonai, which you shall proclaim them to be sacred convocations. Quoting our verse. Now, by the way, this verse, this same phrase is found in verse 2, verse 4, and verse 37 of this chapter. And it is written, These are the appointed times of Adonai, sacred convocations. You shall proclaim them, O Tom, in their season. And it is written, These are the appointed seasons of Adonai. You shall proclaim them, O Tom, to be sacred convocations. So he's quoted verse 2, he's quoted verse 4, and now he quotes verse 37. Three times the verses use the term them, O Tom, which can also be read as Atim, you, in plural. This comes to teach you, Atim, are authorized to determine the date of the new month. Even if you unwittingly establish the new moon on the wrong day, you, even if you do so intentionally, you, even if you are misled by false witnesses, false witnesses come to the Sanhedrin and say, we saw the new moon, when they really didn't. In all cases, once the court establishes the day as the new moon, it is sanctified, and God grants his consent. After hearing this, Rabbi Yehoshua said to him in these words, Akiva, you have consoled me. You have consoled me. Now, you might say, well, that's not right. We can't just let people establish the wrong day at the beginning of the month and then believe God will just hold to that. But then, when you think about it, in Matthew 16, in verse 19, Yeshua makes this cryptic statement to Peter about giving him the, king, the, the keys to the kingdom after Peter proclaims, you are the Mashiach, the Son of the living God. And then Yeshua says, what you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. And that phrase has been so misinterpreted, so misapplied in Christianity that we need to get back to what the phrase originally meant. Binding and loosing are two terms we find throughout the ancient writings. When rabbis would argue about some, some matter of halakha, how to live out a commandment, they would say this rabbi would bind concerning this commandment, the other would loose concerning this permit commandment. In other words, this one would be restrictive. This one would be permissive. So say in your congregation, um, the elders decide, okay, in our community, women must wear a head covering. Married women, that is, have to wear a head covering. That's our rule for the community. Then you might argue whether that's really a rule found in the Torah or not. But what Yeshua basically is saying is this. If the leaders say, and they bind concerning head coverings for women, 
then God says, then I'm going to require people there, the women there, to wear, uh, to wear head coverings because this is a rule that the leaders have established. And to not follow what the leaders established would be rebellion. Now, if you don't like the rule, you can leave the community and join someplace else. But God is simply saying, when I've established authority in a community, I'm going to back that authority, provided it's not an unrighteous commandment, an ungodly commandment. But if a community loses concerning head covering, they'll say, you can wear one or not wear one, it's up to you. Then he says, then it's, it's fine, I'll, I'll loose that in heaven. I'm not going to hold people responsible if they don't wear a head covering. And that is probably a bad example I'm using, but that is the essence of what Yeshua was saying about binding and loosing. That God will recognize the authority of the people he's placed in authority in our communities. And that's basically what's going on here in this excerpt from the Talmud, where they're saying that this word Aleph Tav Mem, which means them, can also mean you. And then Akiva explains to Rabbi Yehoshua that even if we get it wrong, for the sake of the unity of the, the sacred community, God will, will back that up. What he's saying is this, and this is the thing, if you disagree with everything else, this is the one thing I'm pretty adamant about. The purpose of the Moedim and the appointed times, one of the overarching purposes is that all of Israel will be doing the same thing together at the same time. Let me say that again. One of the overarching purposes of the Moedim is that all of the people of Israel will be doing the same thing together at the same time. That unity among brothers, something that is so important in God's eyes. And in Proverbs, we're told that one of the things God hates more than anything else are those who, dis who sow discord among brothers. So, Here's the question you think about and you answer. I'm not going to answer it for you, but you need to decide. Which does God smile on? Someone who separates themselves from the community because they see the calendar in a different way, even if they are right and they're precise and they're accurate and they say, we're doing Passover on this day even though the vast majority of Israel and the Messianic community are doing it on a different day? Does God smile on that precision of identifying the date of the month? Or does he smile more on people all keeping the holy day together as a holy convocation, even if it may not precisely be the right day? You think about it, you decide. And... Um, I'm not going to condemn you either way, but I guess this is something I'm sensitive to because as I do this teaching, we are in the process of counting the Omer, and I can't begin to tell you how many times people have contacted me to discuss, when do you begin counting the Omer? And it's based upon a disagreement on what the Torah says about which day we begin counting it on. And it's like, well, you have to decide. Do you want to interpret the scriptures in the minority view? Or do you want to interpret the verse 
in Leviticus 23, which is the way the vast majority of Israel interprets it, and, uh, and stick, stick with uh, the community. Now, I know some people throw up the verse that says, do not follow the majority for evil. And I 100% hold that up. But we're not talking about following the majority for evil. We're simply saying, do I follow the majority who see the calendar this way and join with them so we can celebrate together? Or do I separate myself from them and I do it on my own in a, in a way that's in the minority? Again, it's a question you need to ask and think about and answer for yourselves. So, this, uh, this episode I know is a little bit different from most. But these are the kinds of things that the rabbis wrestle over and we have to wrestle over as well. And we have to decide what our priorities are. But however you're counting the Omer, as long as you're counting it, I applaud you and encourage you. And even though you may celebrate Shavuot on a different date from other people when they celebrate Shavuot, Pentecost, uh, God bless you. Because as long as we're trying to please Him and do things in a way that show our love and devotion to Him, then uh, He has to be pleased. So, with that, hopefully I'll be back here with a less contentious teaching uh, next time on our next tour portion. And until then, I wish you Shalom and a God bless. Thank you for joining us for today's teaching. If the work of Torah Today Ministries has touched your life, please consider making a donation or sponsoring an upcoming video. As a video sponsor, you'll have an exclusive opportunity to memorialize a family member, celebrate a special event, or simply support the ongoing creation of similar content. Your tax-deductible contribution helps ensure that our teachings continue to reach all who are longing for truth. Click the link or visit our website to learn more. Roger that.